0: Welcome to This Academic Life, Episode 4. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis, Professor of Physics and Associate Dean of Research, Graduate Programs, and Natural Sciences.
1: Hi, I'm Pani Anual. I'm an Assistant Professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering.
2: Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I'm a Professor in Mechanical Engineering. We are the hosts for this show, and today we'll be talking about H index. If you are a current faculty, I am sure you have heard of this. If you are an incoming graduate student and already a graduate student doing research or maybe a postdoctoral research, I am sure you will be hearing this very soon. So what is age index? For those in STEM fields, this age index measures the impact of a particular scientist or engineer. How is it measured? Well, typically, when you're publishing papers, it represents two quantities, the number of the publication and the number of times that these publications have been cited. For example, if someone published 20 papers, and among the 20, five of them has been cited at least five times, then your H-index would be five. You can think of this measure as a way of measuring someone's productivity, which is papers published, and recognition for those publications, which is measured by the citations. h index is now becoming a very important way to measure people's research productivity. How did it even start? It started in 2005. This is a paper published by a professor in physics. Uh, his name is George Hirsch. That's where the H index is coming from. Ever since it was published, it has been used everywhere. It's now used to assess an academic's promotions, research grants, or potential opportunities for awards. And now, university ranking. So it's becoming such an important quantity for everyone to use. Why is it needed? We know that to assess research is not easy. Assessing research is very subjective. When you put a number to it, it becomes objective. If you are wondering where you can find your H-Index, there are a few places where you can find them. Web of Science, Google Scholars, Scopus. So these are the three main ones where you can just type your name in. You might be able to find your H-Index. So
1: Lucy, it seems that H-Index is a common tool used these days in evaluating research productivity and also impact. But many of our audiences might have a question about that. What's a good age index? Just looking at some of the publications that they did this analysis, they mentioned that age index of 20 after 20 years of doing research and scientific activities, it's characterized as a successful scientist. So uh, 20 after 20 years. But if your h-index is forty after twenty years of scientific activities, then you are characterized as a outstanding scientist. h-index of sixty after twenty years, or uh, ninety after thirty years, it mainly means that that scientist is a unique individual. But You should not let these numbers stress you out because when Hirsch published his paper in 2005, he found out that H-index of the Nobel Prize winners in physics, they were on average 35. National Academy of Sciences in physics, they had a mean value of 44 with the standard deviations of 14. And the highest H-index among the National Academy of Sciences in physics was 71 at that time, with the lowest being 20. So, H index is, is a measure of productivity and impact, but it's not everything. And also, it depends on your major. In life sciences, they are typically much higher than physics and also engineering fields. But what is a good H index for PhD students? Typically, most faculty they expect their PhD students to publish minimum three journals by the time they graduate. And given the lengthy process of getting these journals to be published or this manuscript to be published, and also taking the time for them to be cited, having an average H index of the one to two at the end of the PhD, it means it's a huge achievement for for the PhD students. An H index for postdocs is a little bit higher because postdocs, they are expected to already publish three journal publications throughout their PhD students. And roughly the expectation is to have one paper per year for postdoc. So their age index should be, assuming that they do two years of postdoc, it should be in the range of four to five. What is a good age index for an assistant professor? Well, again, there are different categories. Some people, they don't do postdoc and they got a faculty position right after their PhD. So they come with the average uh, age index of two. Those that they are doing postdoc, so they come with the average age index of five. So it varies between two to five for associate faculty, six to 10. And for food professors, 12 to 24. But keep in mind, these varies from field to field. And also, there is a huge distribution values for each of these ranks.
2: So, Pania, a lot of these numbers were, I think, probably appeared back in 2005 when the original H-Index was defined. Over the past 15 years, a mm-hmm. chase of this number has dramatically increased. I think the expectations in terms of the h index that you just mentioned for students, for postdoc and assistant professor and all the way to professor, they are changing over time as well. So I, I am sure all of you have seen that some of the incoming assistant professors come in with like h index of 30. It's quite scary. (laughs) That's a very
1: good point. Yes, I've seen actually these things varies from, you know, if you are coming from top schools and your advisor is a very well known in their field, you carry those H index. You come with a high H index of 30 or 40 or even 45. I've seen assistant professor getting hired by the H index of 44. But yeah, these are very, very good points. Yes, most of these numbers they are talking about back then when Hirsch came up with this H-index and they are evolving much, much faster. You know, if you have a low H-index, there are ways to increase it. So that's not the end of the world. There are various ways. Some of them, they call them black hat techniques. Usually it's better not to to use them, as you can tell, uh, because they are either illegal or immoral. Um, One of them is that frequently and irrelevantly self-citing, and that would boost your age index, but does not actually have a value. That's one of the most common ones in the black hat category. There are white hat categories that I think that everybody can, uh, can practice them and can work on them, and they are actually beneficial for your research. Some of them is that just, uh, you know, collaborate with more mature researchers. Many research have shown that if you write an article with a famous researcher, your citation would go up. Choose your journals carefully. So don't just uh, send it to any journals. Make sure that you know your audience. And also, these days, publishing in open-access journal it helps a lot. Unfortunately, not all the fields have open-access journals. In life sciences, there are many well-known journals that they are open-access, but in others, they are fewer. Also, there are some sort of silly ways to boost your age index, the silliest one that, that I've seen or I, I thought that it was the funniest one the, in your signature having a picture of your histogram of your age index throughout the years. That's so this one. <laughs> 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 so but, but be creative. I guess if it's working for you just just do it nothing against it. but I thought that that was uh, that was quite
0: interesting. So I guess we should also probably put the H index on our license plate if we if we want to go to the next level of promoting this as a way <laughs> sure to the
2: electronic, <laughs> so it gets updated. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody can get the
1: idea and start <laughs> a business.
2: Pure <laughs> obsession. That's too overboard. I think the bottom line is no matter what you're trying to do, you. First thing that you have to have is good science. Panya, you were saying uh, how many, like there are so many ways that you can boost your H index and you can't do it without good science. One thing that people have started to use this H index obsessively are the people, uh, they, they think this is a pure measurement of their quality of their science. The correlation between H index and the number of publications, that correlates typically somewhere between 0.8 to 0.9. So you can see the more you publish, the better the H index, because the more you publish, you set yourself and then your H index simply goes up. But does that mean that more publication
0: is better science? I highly doubt it. So ladies, Lucy brought up a good point. Is it really that simple to characterize a scientist's achievements? Although it's a simple calculation, the H index does not capture the full story of a a scientist's contributions. For example, single author papers count the same as multi-author publications, and there's no air quotes extra credit for being the first author or the last author or even the corresponding author, right? Which usually indicates a greater role in the project. In addition, self-citation inflates one score and the H-index never in- decreases. So it is not a good indicator of most recent activities. Most reviewers consider the H-index as one piece of a larger picture rather than a definite ranking two. In my opinion, I think Lucy made a good point that we should focus on the good science. I remember there was one situation where a reviewer, basically harped on the fact that it didn't cite his work. And in my mind, I was like, dude, seriously? I would have to make another sentence that totally deviates from that paragraph just to cite you. Is it really worth it? It's really a serious problem, especially when your work is going under the review and they're just counting to see if you cited their research group. So what that does is it, it really de-emphasizes the good science. I just want to do good science. And if there's a publication that is affecting the quality of my work, then absolutely I was cited. Maybe I did miss it, and it was not done intentionally. And I'm happy to go back and to do that. And so I think we, we have to be careful, especially when we're mentoring, you know, junior scientists, and you see them having this anxiety about that as very mature scientists, we should explain to them, What's important so that they won't get caught in this situation where they're moving through the academy with that anxiety about the pressure, that peer pressure of the H-index?
2: I totally agree. I think that's a very ethical issue that we're dealing with here. Because the chase of this number, people are losing their ethics along the way. And it's not good trend everybody's looking at that number and think, oh, that is a number I need to chase because that's the number that's being put on my resume, put on my CV when I apply for this job, when I do this, when I do that. So of course, I need to pay attention to it, right? And universities are catching up as well. It used to be just, okay, you know, everybody just kind of trying to figure out their own impact in their own research field. Now, university rankings are dependent on it, too. I mean, not all of it, but I recently saw a university ranking that had age index built into it. Can you imagine? What does that do? So that means the university is going to come after all the researchers, all the faculty, and then say, make sure everybody boosts up your age index
0: so that our ranking can go up. All right. So this is going to go toward a very unhealthy trend. It would be funny if there was a air quotes H index for number of students graduated from your research group. Can you imagine how quickly graduate students will get out of their PhD program? If you tag the number to, you know, to say the rate at which you get out. And then that was tagged to your merit, your scientific contributions. It, we wouldn't have this problem of students being in graduate programs more than seven years. So we can just start putting numbers on everything to start solving some other problems. <laughs> you exactly. know, but is it solving the problem or creating more problems? Because then you start thinking about if you did that, then the quality of the graduate students might suffer, right?
1: Yeah, I think we can call that G A index then. <laughs> H and G <laughs> graduate index. <laughs> I personally think that Hirsch's intention was not this. He did not come up with the index to say that this scientist is more successful than this scientist. He was just purely, he was trying to have an assessment of the publication and also encouraging people to communicate it with the greater community. He himself mentioned this is just a number. But unfortunately, many people are now using it for their own purposes and they are giving more power to the H-Index than it was intentionally, you know, was, was invented by by uh, Hirsch, and he didn't—he didn't even think that would be an evaluation for promotion or, you know, hiring and all of this. He just—he just wanted to have an index, but and I think that this age index should be like a happy index that you should be proud of your accomplishment. You look at it and you see the trend. Oh, I started from two publications getting cited by one person, I guess. And then now it's going, growing, growing. So it means that you are gaining recognition among your scientific community. People are valuing you and you are becoming a respected
0: member of the community. Thanks, Panya. I think that's a really important point that what his intention was and what we have made it out to be now. I think those are two separate things. So I appreciate you making sure that we understood what his intentions was. Obviously, we're just... Regular
2: researchers, what about some well known people? What is the H index if you were to look at Einstein? Someone actually established a Web of Science database for Einstein retroactively, and he published 147 articles. He had a total of 1,564 citations. And for self citation, it's only 1.7%. So that means majority of the work that people have been citing him are other people's work, right? So that's interesting. And then his age index is 56. Oh boy, what does that say about people who currently have like 70 or 80?
0: Are they better than Einstein if we were to use this age index? Let's choose some other scientists, such as Elmer Imes. He was the second African-American to receive a PhD in physics. He had multiple pat- patents. I think he had four for instruments that assisted in measuring magnetic and electric properties. Or Willie Hobbs Moore, she was the first African-American woman to earn a PhD in physics from an American university. What was their H in debt? It turned out... They don't even have one that no one ever thought to build this H-index for these two people. And most African-American physicists know who these people are. We we're taught them. They're on the list. They're on our posters. They're on our t-shirts. They're everywhere. It's, it's names that we recognize. And I remember even we was at APS one year. It was the APS that was in New Orleans and they highlighted Elmer Imes and they had an app. That every place you went in New Orleans, you had to take a picture with this cardboard cutout of Elmer Imes. And it was just so much fun. We brought Elmer Imes to the House of Blues. And it really opened up people's perspective about who he was and and what contributions he made. Because this big international conference was highlighting him. And it it was really great. So I was really in the tizzy this morning when I realized that they didn't have an H-index. And so now I feel like I need to build one. (laughs) One thing we can probably conclude is that this age index
2: is biased. I'm sure there are many biased factors in there, right? Besides the the obvious ones that we had already talked about. We have to be very uh, cognizant about all of these things. When we put those numbers out there to be judged,
1: yeah, and, and let's use this H index as a symbol for happiness, for healthy, honesty, and all these good, positive things that it comes out of scientific community.
2: I love it, Tanya.
0: Wonderful. Let's keep at it. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Find us at thisacademiclife.org or follow us on Facebook. You can listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. Please rate us. We welcome any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.